0: Welcome to another episode in a series of conversations at the Greenhouse Gas Management Institute. This time we talk about British Columbia's carbon tax. Welcome back, Michael. Thanks, Don. When we last saw each other, we were in Washington, D.C., working together, and you were presenting a number of papers at a number of conferences, one of which was attended by a representative of the British Columbia government reporting on their experience with their carbon tax. And I thought we'd talk about that today.
1: Yeah, I think that's interesting. As uh, Dennis uh, Paradine from the British Columbia Ministry of Environment, and he gave a presentation kind of summarizing their experience with the carbon tax at this at this conference, which was mainly actually attended by a bunch of uh, carbon cycle scientists and modelers. So um, we were both talking about um, policy issues to scientists. Sounds like
0: fun. For our listeners, this, uh, let's give a quick, um, quick overview. Uh, first, we're talking about British Columbia, which is uh, one of the provinces of Canada. Uh, in this podcast, we'll be referring to it uh, in shorthand, is BC. So British Columbia, BC. Uh, it's on the west coast or the Pacific Northwest uh, section of, of Canada. It happens to be home to Vancouver and Victoria, and uh, has about 4.4 million people. Uh, it turns out that's about 12 percent of Canada's population, and the province itself is maybe 10 percent of um, of the country's land, and further. If um, if our listeners were in your office looking out your window, they would see Puget Sound and if they if we all went down to Puget Sound, got in our kayaks, we could paddle to British Columbia uh, from uh, from your office.
1: that's correct.
0: I want to talk about this tax. I want to give you a quick overview of what the tax is and then we can talk about the experience that they're reporting associated with it. So back in 2008, Uh, BC implemented a carbon tax. Now, this is a tax, a monetary amount uh, per uh, metric ton of CO2 emissions. And this started out at $10 Canadian. By the way, all the monetary units we talk about today will be in um, Canadian dollars unless otherwise noted. But in 2008, it was $10 per uh, metric ton of CO2 emissions. And I'll talk about where it's implemented in in, in just a moment. For each of the next four years, it increased by $5 a ton. So in 2009, it became $15 per ton. 2010, $20 per ton. 2011, $25 per ton. And finally topped out in 2012 at $30 per ton, where it is now. So what do these numbers mean to the consumer? First... um, uh, it means that everyone who buys gasoline pays about six and two-thirds uh, Canadian cents for each liter of, um, of gasoline uh, for the B.C. carbon tax. Now, for those of you that think in terms of gallons, that's a, a 25 cents Canadian per U.S. gallon. Or, if you think U.S. dollars, that's 21 cents U.S. per U.S. gallon. So, that gives you, a you know, a rough... Uh, relative scale how much the impact is on a on a pocketbook. Now uh, this tax is in addition to three other taxes that happen on fuels. Uh, the first is 5% goods and services tax, so that's a value added tax, a 10 cent uh, federal excise tax, and a 25 and a half cent prov- uh, provincial uh, fuel tax. So all of us who buy gasoline and, and including our friends in B.C. are, are used to uh, Uh, paying uh, taxes already at the pump, and this is yet another uh, component. So what does this tax uh, cover? It includes emissions from mostly fossil fuel uh, consumed or combusted in BC, and it's estimated to cover about 70% of the CO2 emissions uh, that, that come from BC. And it's important to note here that most of the electric- electricity in British Columbia is sourced from hydroelectric dams, so there's very little effectiveness tax on the electricity market. Now, what does it not cover? Uh, the emissions uh, uh, ex- are excluded from interjurisdictional aviation or shipping. That is, you know, if you're a flight that originates in BC and going somewhere else, is not uh, going to have the uh, the carbon tax. For example, same with shipments. Uh, fuels which are exported from the province are not taxed, and emissions from sources that are difficult to estimate, like landfill emissions, are are not included. And finally, non-combustion emissions, uh, such as what come from um, uh, chemical reactions, are, are excluded. So that's uh, that's kind of the gist of what's in the rule.
1: Yeah, and I think you know that makes sense. You know, given what we know about. The you know measurement uh, you know reporting and verification issues with with a lot of these sources. I mean that's what we see generally with you know with a whole host of policy measures. Whether it's you know carbon taxes or cap and trade, is you go after the large, large point sources um, of emissions where you can you know easily quantify and measure them, and you know stuff like farm fields or landfills and, um, and in small small sources become more more challenging. One of the nice things about um, uh, using a carbon tax is um, because of the nature of uh, uh, fossil fuels, where essentially the, the amount of emissions of CO2 is, as many people listening should know, um, is just a function of how much carbon is in the fuel. All you got to do is track track the amount of fuel being, you know, being sold and 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 combusted, um, and you know the emissions reasonably accurately. Um, so you can apply the in this in the case of a carbon tax you can apply it you know at the fuel kind of importer distributor wholesaler level of which there typically aren't that many so in terms of implementing the tax you have a, a what we would call a fairly you know limited number of points of regulation that you have to deal with so instead of regulating every you know tracking the emissions of every single car and truck on the road you can, you can just look at basically how much fuel is flowing through, you know, major points of wholesale distribution, um, the big importers and refineries and whatnot, again, of which there's only a few, so it makes it much easier to implement.
0: Good points. Uh, those aspects made this one simpler. First, it was piggybacked on top of existing taxes, meaning those, those points where it's collected. Uh, which as you said were from a few companies who were already paying taxes, namely wholesalers of fuel, uh, refiners I believe, fuel importers and domestic producers. All of those people were already filling out tax forms anyway. So this was um, something that was happening to uh, at a place where taxes were already being uh, levied and that was relatively simple. And you're right, there's nothing for individuals to do for their individual cars other than uh, pay for the gasoline and and there was nothing for other businesses outside of these fuels uh... providers uh... to do so that uh, that made it easier it also had a number of features which um, which i think are interesting when you start talking about the experience first it was revenue neutral now what does that mean it means that when the tax taxes implemented this new tax required that some other tax was reduced by an equivalent amount. So in this case of the carbon tax, uh, the increases were matched with cuts on business taxes and on personal income taxes. And this revenue-neutral feature was written into it uh, so that if somebody comes along in the future wanting to eliminate it, they can, but if they do, then they are going to be required to increase these other taxes. So that means a hike in personal income taxes and a hike in business taxes and those are things which uh, politicians are are very reluctant before doing. So in one sense it's got a, a feature that makes it hard for it to go away. At the time they implemented it, they were also careful to put in tax credits for low-income individuals, low-income BC residents to shield them from any adverse effects, and in addition as a sweetener, all of the residents of BC got a hundred dollar check called the climate action dividend. So it's always nicer uh, when a new tax comes along, and the first thing that happens is you get a you get a check in the mail.
1: Yeah, no, the progressive, you know, or I guess say I should say regressive nature of pollution and 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 fuel taxes i think is is obviously a key thing to take into account here and um I mean,
0: you, uh, you might know, ex- explain that
1: yeah well i mean you 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 introduced it you know uh as a percentage of income lower lower income people you know pay you know more for fuel so uh, a tax and you know a tax and you know their gasoline petrol bill you know hits hits a low income person or family more than a higher income person who's you know their you know, gas bill, for example, on their, uh, to heat their house or to fuel their car is is relatively a small, small part of their overall, you know, overall cost probably. But for a, someone that's living on a fairly low income, that could be a significant, significant hit. Um, so there's, I think, you know, it's important um, not to, not to lower the 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 carbon tax on low income people because you want that you want that effect of discouraging you know discouraging overuse and encouraging efficiency um, and and alternatives to to play out through the economy but you know as you says you can you can progressively lower income taxes so lower lower the income taxes more or entirely on low income people and not on high income people for example right. Um, Right. And you know, provide other tax credits um, or dividends to low-income people, so that they're so that they're not, in, in aggregate not not suffering from a regressive um, nature of the of the pollution tax or in this case carbon tax. Um, you could even make it, you in, in the end you could even you know create even more progressive progressive tax code by being kind of more generous in terms of the the rebates to the low-income scale, um, and, and it ends up being. Um, Essentially, a small wealth transfer from high-income to low-income people.
0: First thing I wanted to ask was, did it work? You know, we're yes seven seven years into uh, since it started, and we're almost three years into um, of experience uh, since it's been at its full thirty dollars Canadian per uh, metric ton. So I asked the question, does it work? Well, uh, in answer to that, it's a little hard to tell, but we think so uh so at the time it was launched uh, 2008 happened to be the beginning of the great economic recession so the consequence of that was sales of fossil fuels fell across the world uh, across the world across canada and across bc so consequently emissions fell as well now that uh that fall was uh as a result of the fact that the economy wasn't running uh as strong as is as if um you know, we, we shifted gears on the uh, on the transmission of the economy and, and we simply weren't using as much uh, energy and, and emissions fell as a result. But to the question of did it work, um, since 2008, sales of fossil fuels have recovered by 2012. So after about three years, they got back to where they were in 2008 in Canada in general. But the same uh, period in B.C., they only came back to 88% of what they were in uh, in 2008. So that's about 88%, about 12% reduction, uh, which implies that there was a result, uh, reduction as a result of the tax. Yeah, although it's important
1: to note here that that's correlation, not causation. Um, you know, you have to do a deeper analysis to to, to to try and really tease out, you know, there's a, host, a whole host of other factors you know playing in there as well so absolutely um, economic technological you know i i you know the population of bc has grown over that period um so it's not it's not a drop in drop in population but um but yeah um you would think though that some of the you know some of that drop is a is a result of the of the carbon tax um
0: well, as I look at the uh, the papers that are coming out of this, and there is beginning to be a bit of buzz, and you know, you had you cited the gentleman that uh, was at the conference. There seems to be good news, at least in the communities that you and I travel in, uh, coming out as a result of it. So I'm I'm inclined to to think it it made a difference.
1: Yeah, and I think um, I don't know if you have, but there's probably some some more detailed econometric studies out there that um, we. Um, um, Aren't yet aware of as we dig further into this this issue that, that have tried to tease apart tease apart these these factors.
0: Good point. I invite our listeners: uh, if you guys know of um, uh, of analysis that's been done on this, uh, uh, put it in the comments at the um, uh, when you see it on the uh, posted to the uh, Greenhouse Gas Management Institute uh, website. Give us a link. We'll be glad to follow up on it. But here's what i what i found cool about this i i admire what they've done Uh, first they kept it simple and i greatly admire the fact that they did not fill this thing full of loopholes at least in the united states um, any significant um, legislation when exposed to lobbyists um, uh, seems to attract loopholes that is exemptions for Uh, certain certain interest and this one doesn't seem to uh, to have that so it seems to be uh, applied fairly Uh, secondly it raised awareness across uh, first the province of BC uh, and this goes to your comment about uh, causation versus correlation Uh, I believe it caused people to start paying attention you know we've covered the Hawthorne effect before of how uh, just paying attention uh, can lead to um, to performance improvements and things that you're trying to measure like efficiency or fuel consumption, etc. But it also has helped bring light or attention to the notion of, of good ideas like being more efficient and saving money and people acting in their self-interest and which is in this case aligned with a common interest. Self-interest meaning reducing fossil fuel consumption Common interest being reducing the emissions associated with it, and finally, it, it uh, what what I find marvelous is that it demonstrated that a carbon tax could get implemented at, across political boundaries. So there was a little uh, political discord, but at this point. Basically, both sides uh, agree that it's a good a good idea, and I'm I, I look at that and, and that gives me hope. Uh, maybe we can see it implemented elsewhere.
1: Yeah, I think by both sides you mean sort of both dominant political parties in, in BC. Yes. And uh, um, I mean, I I agree. I mean I mean BC is a you know as as Canada goes, um, you know one of the more progressively politically minded. You know regions, but but still, you know they have, there there's a strong conservative um, you know political faction there in, in in the province, and they were still you know had, had reasonably strong support behind this policy, and it, and it seems to be maintaining that support. Well, one, another point I wanted to I wanted us to, to talk briefly about is um, you know thirty dollars a ton. Um, you know we we've said you know appears to be having an effect, uh, although maybe not not a huge effect yet. So the, you know, the question, you know, obviously might be, well, unless, you know, why did they stop at $30 and they keep raising it and, and start having a, a larger effect, you know, six cents per liter, you know, is not nothing, but it doesn't seem like a huge, uh, a huge cost if, you, if you're familiar with the value of the Canadian dollar, which is, you know, not too dissimilar from the US dollar it kind of bounces around.
0: Well, plus plus the volatility of gasoline prices recently, they, they probably shift week to week, 50, uh, plus or minus six cents.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, week to week. So it 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 falls within the noise level in terms of you know petrol price volatility, as you said. Right. I, th- the, I think the the important you know kind of economic point to make here is, yeah, yeah I mean yes, they could continue to raising it. I mean there there probably is there probably is an argument for doing so, at least from an environmental standpoint. There is an economic reason for sort of, you know, taking pause, though, which is the, you know, issue of, of uh, economic leakage a- across the out- outside of B.C. So yeah,
0: what do you mean by that?
1: So if, um, uh, you know, in this case, B.C. is, you know, gone on its own. Um, this, it's, you know, surrounding areas, you know, the next province over um, uh, in Canada and uh, Alberta, I believe. Yes, um, And, you know, here where I live, Washington State in the U.S., um, uh, USA, um, don't, you know, we don't have carbon taxes, um, as well as other trading partners They you know, people have in B.C. And, and uh, Vancouver is a major, you know, major shipping port. So um, if, you know, if the tax gets too high, um, you know, it would be an obvious uh, or logical choice for businesses that, you know rely more heavily on fossil fuels to you know say basically this is getting too much i'm just going to move over to the you know to the next province over and set up my business there because it's just you know i can save a lot of money because i don't have to pay this tax so there's a limit you know when when sort of jurisdictions go off on their own in terms of these these kinds of taxes you can basically get you know get shifts and you know structural shifts uh in, in various economic sectors, and I think that you know some of the studies have have indicated that they they have seen this you know in B.C. at least with one industry, not not with really um, much of any others, but with one industry which was cement, ah, um, because it is very energy intensive, um, and they were paying the tax, um, and, and you know because they emit a lot of a lot of C O two that they've they've seen a drop in cement production in um, in the province um, because you can go over and just you know, produce it in Alberta or, or here in in the US and, and, and ship it um, now there's a limit to how far you were willing to ship cement uh, right it's, it's a heavy heavy stuff to be shipping around although we have actually seen um, more and more international shipping of, of cement um, over, you know, between Asia and the US and whatnot so it's not it's not impossible but it definitely adds to the cost
0: no I'm sure so leakage is simple on an individual level could be as simple as driving across the border to fill your car. Exactly. That's what you're talking about. Exactly. Yeah. That's a small,
1: small case example of it.
0: Yeah. Well, good point. As I look at these uh, these papers and these presentations, uh, the people who have implemented it are very proud of it, as they should be, but they're beginning to report their lessons learned. They're uh, publicly sharing their experience, which is which is good for us. It, um, it's why how it caught uh, our attention and uh, uh, why you met the gentleman from BC. A couple of those lessons long, learned that, that stuck with me, I wanted to share with our listeners. First, this uh, revenue neutral didn't seem to matter much to the voters, surprisingly. I thought that it would, but it turns out it was necessary to overcome their uh, political opposition. In other words, um, they, they couldn't use this as a mechanism to raise taxes or, as often is said, quote, increase the size of government. Uh, so that was a, a, an issue with the other political par- parties, but the voters just don't seem, don't seem to be that attached to that, that particular aspect. The next one, and this one's probably more important, is the uh, economy is thriving. BC is doing very well, and they're actually taking some pride in taking this initiative, and they're using it as they recruit businesses, um, academics, and um, in some cases, entrepreneurs to the province. And, and that's good to see. Now, that could be just because, you know, our, our select communities paying attention, but for whatever reason, uh, they seem to be enjoying a little reputational uh, boost here, and and I um, I love it that they take some pride in it. That that's good. Finally, they do acknowledge, and we all have to acknowledge that uh, that this this mechanism alone, a carbon tax alone, is not going to solve the problem. Uh, first, we have the order uh, the the um, the the magnitude of uh, of the tax, but secondly, providing that economic signal to businesses and to individuals through a pricing mechanism is hugely important, but you should also still be doing the other things that you need to do, which are sound policy, good education, um, basically getting a portfolio of, of, um, uh, of actions in place if we hope to uh, address the, the problem that we all know is coming.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a point where we, we talked about before, um, you know, how you know, carbon taxes, it, when especially when you're just focused on fossil fuels and, and sort of other major point sources that are easy to measure, like big industrial point sources of N2O or cement plants, you know, it is it is easy to implement, you know, just, a, again, a few sort few points of regulation, you know, just, you know, we know we can figure out the emissions fairly easily based on fuel content and carbon content or just, you know, some simple measurements and apply the tax and, um, and you know, to big businesses that are, you know, often uh, able to able to do it and pass on the costs. That's all. That's all well and, and, and great and simple, and it you know provides a economic so- signal as you pointed out. The tricky part comes you know, politically. Is um, then you're raising all this revenue, and, and yes, you know, being carbon, you know, being sorry, revenue neutral, you know, uh, uh, kind of helps the the grease of political wheels, but. You know, you are bringing all that revenue and you have to decide then what to do with it and what taxes to lower. Um, And of course, everyone is going to be screaming they want their tax lowered. (laughs) Of course. Um, And so, you know, the complexity of the policy comes into play where because you are coupling it with, you know, a jurisdiction's tax policy, you know, tax policy, as anyone knows in anywhere in the world, you know, is fraught with political fights. Uh, the minute you open up that Pandora's box about you know we're gonna basically you know start changing tax rates on for on different people and different you know entities. Good point. Um, you're in you're in for you're in for uh, you know definitely some some excitement, um, political excitement. So so that's where the real political complexity goes um, uh, is not in the implementation as much as in the negotiating you know negotiating the financial offsetting aspect of it in terms of you know revising tax policy.
0: You know, I hadn't thought of that, but that's hugely important uh, because of the time involved, the time it takes to get, to get um, you know, a structural tax change politically engineered can be significant. And as we know, uh, as we know, the people listening to this podcast, time isn't necessarily on our side for uh, getting pollu- uh, getting solutions into place.
1: Yeah, but I mean, it is also the power of it in that you, when you do have all this new revenue coming in, that you can lower other taxes with, or provide kinds of rebates or dividends to certain to certain um, political constituencies. Um, you know, that gives you a powerful bargaining tool to to, to go out there with, and you know, for lack of a better phrase, you know, buy votes um, as necessary. Of course, you want to be sure that. You know, you're not going overboard with that and creating all sorts of new economic distortions or, again, you know, being overly regressive with the policy. You need to reserve some of that revenue to offset the regressive impacts of, on low-income people. So all yeah, sorts of things and, to balance.
0: And, uh, right. and maybe, um, you know, we are someday going to have to start talking about infrastructure to support a, a lower-carbon economy. Uh, but it, I'm glad you brought that up because a think tank, uh, an environmental policy think tank, called Resources for the Future did a quick modeling exercise on this and if $30 US per uh, metric ton of CO2 uh, emissions tax was implemented in the uh, in the US uh, that would generate the equivalent of $876 per US resident per year so if $30 per metric ton implemented the same way would result in a uh, think of it as a as a check to um, to u s residents of eight hundred seventy six dollars now this is interesting because there is a very active movement uh, promoting a concept of fee and dividend promoted in the u s by uh, citizens climate lobby and dr James Han- Hansen who uh, most of us know I've gotten to know and and appreciate his work and um, and I'm seeing activity on that and so a consequence of of um, of learning this BC experience and seeing this uh, this press come out is we can uh, take hopefully take advantage of some of this learning and use it to uh, a better inform choices and, and actions that we might take if we're uh, considering implementing something like that.
1: Yeah, exactly. And as I said, you know, if we you know something like this is more you know uh, broad based, you know, across jurisdictions, um, and the tax levels can be somewhat harmonized. Um, then you avoid some of these, you know, economic leakage issues, and, and then you're in a situation where you can actually raise the carbon tax more, um, and then you know reduce other taxes more, um, because you're not disadvantaging yourself to, relative to your economic competitors in other, other regions. Um, now there is a there is a broader issue here, in terms of setting up an international regime, international treaty or compliance regime, you know, around a carbon tax. Which oh boy! Was, um, yeah. Some people have talked about, and you know, there's a and there's a reason why it wasn't done that way under the Kyoto Protocol. Although countries could have, countries were free on the Kyoto Protocol to do any kind of domestic policy they chose, but um, you know, some some people in the past have argued, well, let's just have a global carbon tax, and everyone agree to set the glo- the carbon tax at you know thirty dollars or eighty dollars or a hundred dollars or whatever a ton a U.S. equivalent or something. The challenge with that is, as as we probably know no you know tax policy across jurisdictions and countries is all over the place you know you know different different countries do it totally different if you try to you know essentially agree to a global carbon price then you know each country is going to politically tend to kind of go under the table and kind of you know reduce the tax in other ways for affected firms and and basically you end up in this very complicated game of of trying to you know, monitor and verify essentially a country's tax policy to make sure they're not you know but it, it essentially undermining the effect of the carbon tax through other financial flows and transfers and you know games and corruption and things like that
0: Wow, we thought so, carbon accounting was uh, yeah was no, tough. it would
1: be it would be it would be a nightmare so so from an international compliance regime, we're probably wise to stick with setting targets and timetables based on actual emissions tons of emissions and then You know, countries can still use, and you know, uh, I think it's probably a good policy to use carbon taxes, um, but not not set our kind of international uh, targets based on based on a tax level instead. Just base it on emissions levels for for the complexity of of trying to essentially uh, evaluate in compliance and enforce compliance around tax policy globally.
0: So set set the. Uh, policies based on national inventories and all the processes exactly.
1: around that, right? Exactly, and then mm-hmm. and then use the carbon taxes to get there.
0: Yeah, makes good sense. Well, I'm mindful of the clock, uh, and our promise to viewers, uh, to listeners rather, to uh, uh, to not go too long. Is there any aspect of this that you would like to add before we wrap?
1: No, I think we've we've, we've given a, a quick summary, and, and as you said, we'll have some show notes to, with some links to some stuff for people to read more.
0: We will. We didn't even uh, touch cap and trade. Uh, meanwhile, I invite anyone who has a, a comment to uh, to send us an email, uh, podcast at ghginstitute.org. We'd love to hear from you and love for you to contribute to the conversation. Meanwhile, uh, thank you, Michael. I look forward to next time.
1: Same here. Thanks, Don.